This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, we're in a series called Proverbs, that's just the way it is, um, reference Bruce Hornsby. Okay, and uh, I'm going to talk uh, this morning, uh, well, I'm going to jump out from Proverbs this morning on Proverbs chapter 4, let me just read a verse and then I'll give you my title. It says, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verse 1 to 4, listen my sons to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding, uh, I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commandments and you will live. It's interesting, the context for uh, lots of Proverbs is actually uh, a father. And interestingly, a mother. There's not much uh, ancient uh, literature that has mothers uh, doing talking. So uh, it's fathers and mothers. Interestingly, the Hebrew kind of the importance of the kind of Jewish or the Hebrew mother. So when I talk about fathers today, I am including mothers. It most often it references fathers, but I am including mothers. But Hebrew kind of uh, wisdom literature has fathers or parents talking to sons. If it doesn't mean that it doesn't include daughters as well, uh, just understand the context. So if you're of the different gender, if you're not a father or a son, if you're a mother and a daughter, that still includes you, okay? Um, and so my title this morning is Not Many Fathers. Um, Britain has the highest proportion of fatherless families of any major European country. A report by the Centre for Social Justice talked about lone parent families uh, increasing by more than 20,000 a year. So that's in five years, that's a town the size of Cheltenham. And it's more than 2 million now. 2 million families uh, in the UK are alone uh, uh, families. Mostly that means mums without uh, a father. Um, in fact, some areas of uh, the UK cities, the report said, it talked about fatherless deserts. In other words, these, these sit, inner city areas where, where 70, uh, 70 or 80% of, of the families are, are, are run by a mother. Uh, in fact, a lot of the, the, the uh, children have uh, female primary school teachers. That's not wrong. But I'm saying that they just, the, the kind of fathering influence has, has gone. And, and they talk about the absence of fathers is linked to higher rates of crime, higher rates of teenage pregnancy, higher rates uh, of disadvantage. Kids are more likely to be in prison. They're more likely to be, uh, struggle with sexual addictions. Uh, and, and so the, the whole kind of sense of fathers, and, and they said in this report that, that the, the UK faces a tsunami of, of, of kind of fatherlessness. And so we see that kind of massive sense of, so it's not that mothers are uh, important. The fact is the mothers are carrying the burden. It's the fathers that are off. It's particularly strong in some uh, 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 ethnic cultures, but the reality is that right across the board, the fathers are not picking up their responsibilities. The fathers are off, and the women are raising the families, and that has impact. It doesn't have impact because fathers are great and women are bad. It has impact because fathers have got a part to play. And so the context of Proverbs, as I said, 
is, and it's in our little kind of background, is, is a father uh, teaching a son. It's a mother as well, but it's instructing this kind of adolescent uh, as they grow up about this is how you should live. These are the wise things you should do. This is what you should do. Just pay attention. This is how it works, guys. Listen up. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, the way the fatherly talks kind of work, they tend to have this kind of pattern. So just so if you're reading it, I'll give you an example, and then I'll, we're going to pick a couple and then jump in. Uh, so they, they tend to be addressed, my son, but it could be my daughter, so they're sent to be addressed to my son, and then there's basically a call to listen, or to hear, or be attentive, or bend your ear to the father's teaching, or the mother's teaching. There's a this sense of, Can I, come on my son, listen up. And then some virtue of wisdom, or following the way of Jesus, is ex, uh, as extolled, like this is how it good should be, this is what you should do. And then there's something like, well do that, or don't do that. And then, is a, and then it finishes with some kind of consequence for if you do what's wise, in other words, if you follow the Father's teaching, this is what happens. And if you're foolish, if you don't follow the Father's teaching, that's what's happened. Let me give you an example so that if you're reading Proverbs, you can pick up these little moments where it starts with my son. So uh, Proverbs chapter 1, right at the beginning, I'll pick that one just as an example. Uh, eight, verse 8 to 19, it says, starts with my son, listen to your father and mother's teaching. Uh, 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 chapter 1 actually has father and mother's. And then it talks about wisdom. It says wisdom is like a chain of honor. In other words, it's something uh, that, like, a, almost like if you think of like a mayoral chain or a chain of office. It says, you know, this person's wise. In other words, a wise person is to be respected. It's like a, a chain of honor. And then it's talking about, uh, and you probably, if you've got, uh, if you've ever had kids or you've, if you've been a kid, your parents are basically saying, don't have stupid friends. So it says in, 14, in 10 to 15, don't be enticed by the wrong people. In this context, it says into robbery and violence. So it's saying, now don't do that. Choose your friends wisely. And I think in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, 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 some, a double team preacher that's going to preach on choosing friends wisely. And then it finishes with the consequences. It says, look, if you go off with the wrong people and you go robbing and stealing and you do all that kind of stuff, in the end, what you're doing is you're only stealing your own life away. So that's kind of how it goes. Those kind of fatherly talks. And Proverbs has a number of those. It has about ten in the first nine, ten chapters. And of those ten, four cover sexual behavior. In other words, behave yourself. You know, don't go off. It's often talked about with the adulteress, but it's all the loose woman. But it's basically talking about just behave yourself. You know, guys, the context with don't look at porn, don't go sleeping around, don't go picking people up, don't do that. That's the kind of context. So, so four of the talks about that. Three of the talks about choose your friends wisely. One is about don't be lazy and deceitful and proud, and I did that one for you a couple of weeks ago. One is about loving God, and one is about wisdom. So I want to pick a couple of those as we rock on through. So the first thing, fathers, yes, caveat, I won't do it one more time, and mothers as well, but fathers are to teach their sons, their daughters, to trust God. One of the brilliant chapters of Proverbs is, it starts in Proverbs chapter 3, I'm just going to read a few verses from it. It says, my son... Do not forget my teaching. So there's that kind of thing. Come and listen up. Don't forget my teaching. But keep my commands in your heart, for they'll prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on a tablet of your heart. Then you'll find favor and a good name in the sight of God. This is a famous verse for tea towels, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Carrying on, it says, My son, so there's another kind of repeat of this. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, who found her understanding. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peace. She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who take hold of her will be tightly blessed. So we've got this, uh, this fatherly talk about you know, pay attention, love God, trust Him. And, and, and all the time, there's this kind of, uh, there's a background which perhaps the, the, the listeners would have picked up because it talks about, in, in verse 18, it says, she is a tree of life. Now, does anybody know where we've seen in the story the tree of life? Genesis, right at the beginning. Okay, so it says in the beginning uh, that God creates a garden, a paradise, obviously walks with them, and there's a tree of life, and another tree is... Tree of knowledge. There's two trees in the middle of the garden. So people who would have heard this would have thought, oh, that's interesting. He's kind of referencing that story. And what happens in the beginning in that story is that the tree of life is actually, they were not told they couldn't eat from that. They could eat from that freely. Elsewhere, does anyone else, where else the tree of life occurs? It also occurs at the end. It also occurs at the end of the Bible. And they kind of, it seems like the implication is that, that Jesus is this tree of life. Jesus is the one who has life. And actually in John's Gospel, it, it talks about Jesus being the one who has life. It says, he was with God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. In him was life. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ as you sent. There's this sense where, where there, there was, the, in the, right in the beginning, there's a chance to choose life. There was a chance to say, I'm going to stay close to Jesus. Paul, in one of his letters, says you were taken away from pure devotion to Jesus. In other words, was, we, we had this opportunity to have life and have wisdom. Uh, but actually, there were, the, the story goes, there was an ancient serpent, the devil, who comes in, and he says what? Does anybody know what he says? If you eat from this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what does he say? If you eat it, you, will not, you got, won't die. So he tells a lie about God. And, and then it says, actually, that the woman saw that the tree was good for desiring wisdom. So we've got this kind of contrast. You can have life in God. You can find your wisdom in God. You can find your fulfillment and life in God. Or you can step away and choose your own wisdom. You can step away and choose your own truth. You can step away and choose your own life, define your own life in your own way. And that's what happened. They step away from life and they choose independence, they choose their own wisdom, they choose their own stuff. And the world we live in is full of, of how stupid Christian wisdom is. I don't know if anybody's seen the Tracy Ullman, I haven't watched it, but I saw some sketches. Anyone see that? Tracy Ullman, she's a kind of comedian, British comedian, she's been in the States for a long time, and then she came back to the UK and she's doing a program, and basically she does this uh, sketch where she's, like the last one I saw, she's interviewing for a job. And she's this highly qualified, really nice person. And she says, yeah, I don't want to really talk about overstate my CV because, you know, it's kind of a little proud. And, 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 says, and they say, well, you've done so many things. It's, you're absolutely amazing. I'm sure we'll be in touch with you to offer you the job. And she said, well, thank you. That's really nice because as a Christian, I find it really hard to kind of sell myself on in an interview. 
And when she says, as a Christian, <laughs> what happens is there's this like, ah-ah moment, and the employer rings his secretary, and the secretary comes in, and they go, shh. And they say, well, you know, I'm really, you know, we're really sorry, you know, we're not going to be offered the job. And, and Tracy almost says, well, is it because I'm a Christian? And they say, well, not really, we're not legally allowed to say that, but is it because I'm weird? Yes, you're weird. <laughs> and, and it's really a kind of a, an irony about, but basically, Christian wisdom used to be seen as really kind of okay. It used to be seen as sound teaching, but now, if you believe this Christian stuff, you're really a little weird. Because what we've all done, what our culture has done, is says, we're going to define what's right and wrong in our own eyes. We're going to define our own wisdom in our own eyes. And so the Father is saying, look, these are the two trees. This is, let's go back in the garden and make the choice properly. If a father can give any instruction to his son, it is this, reach out with love and faithfulness. He talks about that, with love and take hold of the tree of life. This pure devotion to Jesus and hold him tight. In faithfulness, don't let him go. Who has become for us wisdom. In other words, the, 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 the father's pleading with his son as he grows up. Look, it's almost like you can hear me talking to my sons as they off to university, uh, or my daughter, you know, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Don't choose worldly wisdom. Don't choose this other thing. You must choose this. This is, this is the, the way to go. But actually what we did is we've almost reversed what it says in the, in the Proverbs. We've almost reversed it. So what, instead of saying, I'm going to trust Jesus, we do the opposite. So it says, trust Jesus sounds like, if anyone knows it, you can do it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him. It's almost like the father is saying to his son, the, the mother saying to his daughter, look, look, this is the most important thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. You know, it's more important than getting a good degree. It's more important than getting a good job. It's more important than getting the right wife or girlfriend. It's more important than buying the right house. This is the one thing you can hear Solomon almost uh, as a father pleading with his sons, look, trust in this. Trust in God. But what we've done is we've reversed it. So I've put it in a, a paraphrase here. We will not trust in the Lord with all our heart. But we're going to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're going to rebel against Him. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to choose our own paths. We're going to choose to be wiser in our own eyes and have no fear of the Lord, but forever grasping after evil. And what happened is when that choice was made that I wasn't going to trust in God, I wasn't getting pure devotion to the tree of life, we step into this situation where we're fatherless. We orphan ourselves. Instead of saying, I'm going to give my life, I'm going to stay close to the ultimate true father, I'm going to stay close to God, you, you, we, we say, I'm going to be my own self. I want my own independence, I want to do my own thing. And what happens is we end up fatherless. When Adam and Eve turn from God's life and choose to trust in their own wisdom, they reject a father's love and discipline. It says, actually, it says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. If you're going to stay here close to God, he's going to love you, but he's also going to discipline you. And we don't kind of like that word because we said in our own culture that that's not good. But in, it, actually, to be disciplined is a good thing. To be challenged about your life is a good thing. If you're a school teacher, you kind of know... When you come to parents' evening, the kids that's been the kids that's got trouble, and it's not always this. There are exceptions, but generally, generally the kids that have got trouble and are hard work in your class and mess you around, they're ones who they've they've not had the parents hands on. They've not had that discipline and care and correction to say, no, we don't do that. We do this. Choose this. Don't do that. 
And, and that's the, the, the way it is. And what happens is that the, the humanity is, we've rejected God's dif- discipline and orphaned ourselves. As orphans, though, uh, and I've talked about orphans before, but as orphans, one of the things that, that orphans do is they fend for themselves. If you've got a father, uh, uh, and you, you know, what will happen is uh, probably everybody has been at one time to bank of mum and dad. You know, you're just like, hey, dad, could I have this? Hey, mum, could I have this? You know, so what happens is it, you feel like they're going to go off to university and you're going to be done, but no, you're paying their student fees. And then when they go, and this is my life here, and, and then you, they go off and you think, right, well, we're done with them then. And then there'll be, no, they want to save some money for a job and then they'll want some money to get married. And there's a sense where dads and mum are going to provide. And that's the kind of father's place. But what happened is society has orphaned ourselves and so we think we've got to fight for ourselves. We've got to, we've got to fend for ourselves. And in the passage I read from Proverbs where he's saying, trust God, he says, my son, honor the Lord with your wealth. Put it here first. Put your wealth here first. The first fruits of your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with wine. But this, our culture says, no, what are you doing? You, don't, you want to trust God with your money? No, you need to keep it tight. You want to hold it tight. You want to be tight-fisted. You want to keep it that way because then you'll have enough. But wisdom says, no, trust God. It's basically talking about the first fruits is the tithe. Give your money. Trust your money. If you're trusting God, trust him with your money. And then he'll bless you. As orphans, we, we don't know God our Father. It's interesting, if you, if you don't know your father, I think knowing who you are must be really difficult. Because in one sense, your mother or your father, your parents give you definition of who you are. So um, I mentioned a late, uh, later, uh, a lady called Jo Saxton, whose, whose book I read and stuff, was, uh, she's a Nigerian lady, uh, she was in Sheffield, I think you, you, know, you knew her from Sheffield, she's now in the States, Nigerian lady, and she said she, was, she didn't know her parents. She said, I had no idea who I was. She said, I was, I was fostered by this lovely lady. She's a, a white lady who taught her about Jesus. And she said, you know, it's a great situation to, to be taught about Jesus. But she said, I didn't know. I didn't know what a Nigerian woman living in London was supposed to do. I didn't know who I was. And I think it's an interesting picture that if we don't know who we are, if we don't know God as our Father, then we don't know who we are. And so what we do is we're constantly searching for our identity in the little gods of money and popularity and experience and achievements. So what happens is, you know, and if you've had a situation where your kids have drifted away from God or you've even drifted away from God, what happens is you think, I'm not going to trust God. That's what I did in my uh, mid-twenties. I thought, no, this is, this is dumb. I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to look for who I am in experiences and I'm going to look for it in girls and in fun and having a good time and popularity and that's where I'm going to find real life. But actually I was really thinking, who who am I? And those things that I gave myself didn't really provide any sense of identity for me. I just became a drifter. I just became, I don't know who I am. And that's what happens when uh, when we orphan ourselves. That orphans feel that we don't belong. We talked about this on the 321 course, that, that there's a restless estrangement and disconnectedness. We don't know where home is. This whole sense of an orphaned humanity that, that doesn't trust God to, for provision, that doesn't know it is because it's separated from God and doesn't know where it's belong. And one of the outworkings of this, uh, and so I need to do it. Um, as part of this, one of the outworkings of this is that, that Solomon t- talks to his sons of the, about the dangers of sexual promiscuity. 
why sex like a big deal? Is it, is it because like Christians are like a bit like uptight? We don't know how to chill and we don't really know where sex fits. It's actually sex is this interesting thing. It provides identity. Sex provides identity. It provides intimacy. It provides a, the kind of belonging we crave. So what happens is if you know the Father, if you trust the Father, if you're close to the Father, if you listen to the Father's wisdom, you won't have that sense of, I feel restless, I don't feel like I belong, I don't know who I am, I don't feel close to anyone. So what happens is you reject that, then where are you going to go? Sex is going to be one of the places where you go. Our society is awash with sex because it's fatherless. Men and women without fathers find identity in sex more than those with fathers. Men and women... So I was told, if you don't tell your daughter she's beautiful, she's going to sleep with other guys. If you don't tell your son he matters, his life matters, he's going to think, I'm bored and I'm not interested, and he's going to look at porn. You're going to fill this void with false intimacy. And Solomon bangs this out here. He says in Proverbs 2.22, let me just give you, it's one of these my son things, let me just give you it. It says, my son, turn your ear and apply your heart, search and accept and store up understanding. Wisdom is a treasure from God, a shield to guide and protect. Take the, take the right path, because if you're enticed to, too close to sexual promiscuity, then you're taking the path to death, and you'll be cut off and exiled from God's promised land. Well, it's not saying that just sex is like some side issue. What you're choosing, you're choosing God or you're choosing your own self. You're choosing his path or, 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 or your own path. And it's saying if you go so close to sex, uh, sexual excitement, sexual delight, erotic delight, you will be pulled in here. And it's not just that you'll end up pulled in there and isn't that a bad thing. You'll end up pulled in there and it's actually Solomon's saying you're taking the path to death. You're going to end up like Adam and Eve, exiled and cut off from God's presence. I just wrote here, my son, don't look for erotic delights. Tasting the forbidden fruit will not bring wisdom, fulfillment and joy, but death and exile forever from the presence of God. I've spoke to loads of guys, particularly, I don't do the women on this one. I spoke to loads of guys who've struggled with pornography. And they've started with a little thing, a little enticement, and then they've looked at something softer, and then they've looked at something harder, and they've looked at something harder. And they haven't found fulfillment or identity. They've just despised themselves. They've walked close to that kind of inner death inside. God's wisdom, says Solomon, is a shield and a guard and protecting from a life-destroying foolishness. Who has ever met a happy sex addict? I mean, have you? I've never met somebody who's multiply sleep going into the bars in race week next week because that's what's going to happen. Sodom and Gomorrah comes to town. <laughs> it does. You know, I, I endlessly going from strip club to, relate, to prostitute to picking up a girl. In a, I've never met somebody fulfilled and happy in a sense of identity. There's a restless emptiness. And Solomon is saying, just be careful. He does it again in his other one. We've, we've, I, I've cut out three or four, but let me just give you this one. Proverbs 5. It says, The lips of the adulteress, in other words, read for adulteress, read sexual enticement. It's not actually, she's the bad woman. 
The lips of the adulteress drip honey. The promise of sexual allure is, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to feel buzzy. You're going to feel excited. You're going to feel great. Speech is smoother than oil. If you ever tempted sexually, it feels like, come on, baby. Come on, baby. You know, you're going to feel great. Just go on. You know, just click. Just do it. Just chat to her. Just push it a little boundary. Just come on. It's going to feel great. Solomon says, whoa, 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 whoa. If this is sharp as a double-edged sword, it's bitter as gall. It's like vomit. When you finish your sexual excitement, you feel terrible, you feel rubbish, you feel bitter, you feel, ah. Her feet, your feet go down to death and lead you to the grave. And then he says, brilliantly, it says at the end of your life, if this is the way you're going to go, it says you will groan, and when your flesh and body are spent, and you'll say, how I hated the discipline. Whose discipline have you hated? God's discipline. My heart has spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ears to my instructors. And I was soon on the brink of ruin. Sex is a powerful, destructive force in the wrong place. It's a great and powerful and unifying place in the right place in a marriage between a man and a woman. But any other place like that is destructive. So what happens is, we've got the situation, let's say, let Solomon say, keep close to God and stay away from women. He says a lot more than that, but that's kind of the two I'm picking. Do you know the tragedy with Solomon? He's all talk. He's the wisest guy, but never walked the walk. You read the Proverbs and say, brilliant, amazing, profound, but this is a shocking thing. If you read 1 Kings chapter 11 about Solomon, he's telling his son, stay, trust God and stay away, from, stay away from women outside the wrong context. This is Solomon. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. It's not that that's a xenophobic kind of Brexit kind of thing. It's just, you know, <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's not that. It's basically saying, women who don't share your values. You want to, that's why people say, don't go out with a non-Christian. Is it like, because we hate non-Christians, we don't want to be friends with non-Christians? No, because there's a tension of values. And he he says, about which the Lord had said, you must not intermarry them because you'll surely turn your heart, they'll turn your hearts after their gods. So what does Solomon do? He has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Imagine that. I've got one wife, I love her. Imagine she, she keeps, keeps me on the straight and narrow. She's telling me how I'm doing and how I'm not doing. Imagine a thousand. <laughs> Sorry, that's unfair. It's cheap shot when I'm preaching and Nazi isn't. She should say, yeah, he's just like Solomon. He talks the talk. He doesn't walk the walk. And then it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. That's what... Uh, uh, Paul says later in Corinthians, you were turned from pure devotion to Jesus to someone else. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. If you read the story of Solomon, it's tragic. 
All these talks to his sons, but he didn't live it. He wasn't a living example of how it should be. And the whole place blows. The kingdom's divided. He's left with one tribe. His own son, Jeroboam, fights him, hates him. There's conflict in the families. It runs down family after family after family. Because what happened is he talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. He knew, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. But in his own ways, he did his own thing. It's a tragedy. Paul in Corinthians picks up the tragedy. The title, Not Many Fathers, comes from this. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. My dear children. Are they his his natural offspring? Yes or no? No. So there's something spiritual going on here. It's not just a father talking to his natural son or a mother talking to her natural son and daughter. This This is a spiritual father talking to spiritual children. He says, even if you have 10,000 teachers, the word there is pedagogos, which means you're a teacher, but it could be like a nanny or a tutor. It says you've got 10,000 tutors, but you don't have many fathers. It's this family, it's wealthy family, where the, the sons and the daughters are stuck in a room with a nanny. They're stuck in the room with a tutor. The dad's busy, he's off working, he's, he's earning his money, he's doing his thing, he's finding his dad in his career. But over here, these kids are off with the tutor. And the tutor would teach them how to read and write and how to do the right things and say yes and no, and it would kind of bring them up to speed. But what happened is, they needed a father. They needed a mother, they needed a parent, but you do not have many fathers. He says, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, sounds arrogant, imitate me. Imitate me. Not listen to me, but imitate me. What what I'd say is less powerful than what I do. When I preach on Sunday and shout at Damaris, what is she here? The worst thing if you stand and preach is that people might think, well, you're just like Solomon, you're just a hypocrite. It's not that we abandon the teaching so we don't look like hypocrites, but we've got to hold on to it. He says, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I've sent you my son, Timothy, my son who I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way in Christ Jesus. So we've got lots of teachers, but not many fathers. Joe Saxton, who's the Nigerian lady who's now in the States, She's, she's author's books on discipleship. She's brilliant. She says that you need to have a living example. You need to have somebody who stands by you. We need to have a father who stands at our shoulder. Uh, so what happened is that the, once the, the pedagogue, the, once the nanny, the, the tutor had finished their job, then the job was to bring... Tom, why don't you come up? He's smaller than me, so he looks like my son. <laughs> Not quite. And to, the, 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 the son was to stand at the father's shoulder. The son was to stand at the father's shoulder. And at that point, it was the father's job to live the life and talk the talk and walk the walk so that the son would know what it looked like. So, so, so Joe thank you. So, Joe Saxon says, you, you need to stand at your father's shoulder. Great line, she says, you cannot be what you cannot see. It's not, you cannot be what you don't hear. You cannot be what you don't see modeled, what you don't see walked out in life. 
And in the, in the book she, she's written with a guy called Mark Green, she gives this little triangle uh, about how we need to be living examples. So she talks about information, the power of information. It's good to have instruction. It's good to know truth. It's good to know the Bible. It's good to know information. I just give you information here. But actually what you need is you need imitation. You need to get close to the person. You need to get close up and see what they're like. She talks about it's easy to look good from afar. So we've got a guy living with us at the moment. He's, he's ill this morning. But I said to him, look, when you live with me, you're going to be sl- slightly shocked. Because, <laughs> you know, we're going to raise our voices and we're going to be unhappy and we're going to do things. And I said, but also I hope you'll, you'll see some stuff. I mean, I'm not a perfect example, but, but uh, you know, there's a sense where you get close. You see what a person's really like. But it's at that close, intimate level, it's at that close, intimate level that you learn how to live. It's at that close, intimate level that you learn how to do your stuff. You need to, have, you need to be close enough to see how. Not just your kids with you, but anybody who you're close to needs to see how you do this. They're going to learn from you. What we are... Is the frightening thing is, what I am as a leader, you're going to learn. But what you are as people, the people around you are going to learn. We need to learn like how to love Jesus. They're supposed to see it. It's not supposed to be just preached on Sunday. You're supposed to see it. It's how to pray. How to treat the opposite sex. How marriage works. Good and bad, rough and smooth. <laughs> how, how, how to handle your money. I'm going to trust God with my first fruits. That's what I'm going to do. How to, how to raise your kids. How to choose friends, how to live on mission, how to make decisions, how to choose wisdom. We're supposed to live that out. We're supposed to live it out. Now, here's the thing. You're all called to this. You're all called to this. Paul says, I'm going to send you Timothy. He knows my ways. I'm imitating Jesus. Timothy's imitating me. You imitate Timothy. You've got to do it. You've got to live close. Timothy's going to show how it's done. He knows my ways. That's the way that discipleship works. That's the way that transformation works. Because we need a living example. Jesus is that living example. It says in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is God himself, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Stand up again, Tom. Jesus is the one at the Father's side. He's the one at the Father's side. He's not just stayed at the Father's side and shouted and sent us a book, a holy book, let's, re- let's revere the book. No, he's the Word become flesh. He's, he's come and dwelt amongst you and you can see what he's like. You can see his glory full of grace and truth. One from the Father. <laughs> you know, that he's come and lived amongst us, hasn't he? He's come and lived at the Father's side. So you've got to live an example. What did Jesus do in three years? Half his time, he's been a living example to 25, 30 people. He's not writing books or taking political office, making speeches. He's pouring his life as a living example into people. He's not just saying, listen, my son, to my teaching. He's saying, let's share life together. Let's share life together. We're called to Father. Let me read that verse again from Corinthians. Dear children, even if you have 10,000 teachers, you know there's lots of information. There's lots of information. Be careful where you get your information. 
You know, trust me, with, I, I hopefully give you good information. You know, there's lots of crazy information out there. You Google something on the internet, and you want to find out an answer. Man, I've been doing that with my hip. You know, every different answer in the world. You start to do that with your spiritual life, you know what you're doing? You're not drinking from here. You're just getting man's wisdom. There's loads of information. There's a thousand, ten thousand teachers, internet, chat rooms, blog posts, things to listen to, but you don't have many fathers. The question is, who's your spiritual father? Who are you that close to that you're standing at their shoulder that they know you and you know them? Who are you doing that for? That's the core business of this church. That's what we're doing. That's why we have threes. Not because we're saying to somebody in their three, well, okay, I know you're further ahead of me, but you can do that. But what I'm doing is to stand at the shoulder. I'm in three with Brian and Paul, and I, I hope that they stand at my shoulder and I stand at theirs. And I tell them how it's going. And they say, listen, don't do that. That's good. Do this, whatever. That's how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to get close enough so you can see the warts and all. So we can see, no, we can imitate each other. I urge you, therefore, imitate me. And we should be having a situation where people that are from us go out from us and people say, oh, I understand what Christianity is like. They're not just weird people. There's something incredible about them, some integrity about them. There's a faithfulness to the Lord. There's a way of Jesus in them. Let me land here. Do you have a life worth imitating? The answer is probably no. But the answer is yes. In other words, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you think, I don't have a life worth intimidating. I'm just going to pull on back. I'm just going to buff up my image. I'm just going to close it all down. I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to really do that. I'm not going to share life. I'm just, I'll be happy to give people information. But you know, I really don't want people to get close to me. But the fact is, that is your commission. Go and make disciples. It's called get close. Stand at each other's shoulder and learn how to live. Joe Saxton says, we are all called to father, to disciple. Not as perfect examples, but living examples. Paul wasn't a perfect example. Solomon's far from a perfect example. But we're called to be living examples of how it is. Living examples. So we should have those talks in this church about how you doing with your sex? How you doing with your relationships? You're single, how are you coping? You're married, how are you coping? What's happening? We should have those talks about money with each other. How's your money? Where's your money going? You should have those talks about what friends you're keeping. Are you wise? What's your walk with God like? You should have those conversations. If we don't have those conversations, then we're all not, no one's standing at anyone's shoulder here. Some of you might get to stand at my shoulder. Some of you might think that might be a good place to be. Some of you think, I couldn't think of anywhere else to be. Worse to be. But you've got to stand at someone's shoulder. If no one's got permission to say, you know, I just observe. I just see how you are. Don't do that. This is the wise way. You know, if you do that, that's what's going to happen. I'm doing that with my kids. I'm still talking to them. You know, the two lads have left. I'm sure when Demaris goes, I still have conversations. And they say, what, should I do this or should I do this? And I say, well, if you do that, then that and that and that's going to happen. Listen, my son, and pay attention. But I'm hoping that I'm having some of those conversations with you. There are not many fathers. Not many fathers. The prodigal son. 
This is a picture called The Prodigal Daughter by Charlie Mackesy. The prodigal son is a story as a father who says, I want you at my shoulder. It's a son who orphans himself, goes off to a far-off country, tries to find his identity in sex and money and all sorts of experiences, but he says, what an idiot I've been. I should be at my father's side. I should be at my father's side. That's the gospel message. You need to be at the father's side. He's saying, come and walk at my shoulder. Imitate me. And then people can imitate you. We need to disciple someone in a fatherless generation. Let's stand. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.